Hi, my name is Aisha Small. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Youth and Education podcast, where I interview interesting guests to explore developments in education, research and policy that affect young people, primarily in the UK. This podcast is brought to you by the Youth Think and Action Tank, LKM Co. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Youth and Education podcast brought to you by LKM Co. In this podcast, it sees me, Aisha, and my colleague, Anna. Both of us interview Amanda Spillman, who is Ofsted Chief Inspector. Amanda's been Ofsted Chief Inspector since January 2017, and before that she was the chair of OSQUAL, and then before that she was a founding member of the leadership team at the ARC Schools Academy chain. This discussion is really, really interesting, and is especially for anyone who's interested in change management and implementing change. We talk in a lot of detail about how the new framework was created um, and then rolled out. And from my point of view, in terms of change management, it was fascinating. Other highlights are Anna telling Amanda that haters are gonna hate. I'm not entirely sure what Amanda thought about that. We also find out the similarities between Amanda and Jeff Bezos. So take a listen. It was an enjoyable conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Time to delve in. LKM co-believes society should ensure all children and young people receive the support they need to make a fulfilling transition to adulthood. Find us at lkmco.org. Can we listen to it now? Uh, Good afternoon. You find me here with Amanda Spielman. HMCI, it's a beautiful sunny day. We are sat in your office, but still, you know, looking out on the blue sky. Um, And Amanda, I'm delighted to have you here chatting to me this afternoon. Um, I just want to ask you really to start off with is, what what do you really enjoy about what you do in your role? I enjoy pretty much everything I do, which sometimes surprises people. And the things I enjoy most tend to be the toughest things. I like having to think hard. I like having, I like being on my feet. I like being under a bit of pressure to really think, deliver, perform, um, to do the very best that I can. That, that stimulates me. That, that makes me get out of bed in the morning. Mm, that's interesting. So you've just almost told me that some of the toughest bits are the bits you enjoy. I was about to ask you what you find challenging. <laughs> <laughs> so, so flipping that round, what do you find challenging? when you start this job Mm. you know um, in an abstract sense that you will never be able to make everybody happy Mm. but it's really brought home to you when every time you speak in public there is a significant reaction of some kind um, from some quarter and you realize quite what an enormous spectrum of opinion there Mm. is on on practically every issue that's out there and you as chief inspector are having to steer a a well-informed intellectually grounded but also sort of pragmatic course um, to do the very best that you can for children but it will never please everyone Mm. that must be quite a tricky line to walk sometimes i'm sure Um, i'm going to ask you kind of 
so that you know there will always be people who criticize what you do um, haters will always hate mm -hmm. um, how do you kind of uh, figure out what can be just noise and how how do you actually identify what's healthy criticism and take that on board going forward I think several things are important um, one of which is to make sure that you've really properly thought about and discussed issues before you ever get to the point of talking about them in pub public. I do try very hard not just to react, not to shoot from the hip, mm. not to go out with anything that hasn't, um, that isn't ba based in our work. Um, and one, one thing that I actually, I quite often do when my thoughts, opinions on something are, are forming is to make myself write an essay Okay. <laughs> Literally, I write an I write an essay. I make myself lay out the argument as clearly as I can and see what the yes handwritten or uh, word processed. I just want to kind um, of get the picture. Can be either. Okay. Okay. Um, but it always ends up typed because then I can share it with my colleagues and I share it round um, three or four, mm -hmm. typically three three or four people here and ask for feedback yep. and get their, their reaction, their thought, what they think are the holes in the argument, and go through an iteration until there's something that, that, that I and, and my colleagues mm. think is solid and well-founded well in what we do. Mm. And then and only then, on the difficult stuff, am I comfortable going out and talking about, about it internally or externally? Mm. So it's really funny you should say that. Um, uh, I was reading somewhere that um, Jeff Bezos of Amazon, he makes people write down their proposals mm. first uh, because they have to present it as a one pager um, as it might be a press release before it's allowed to go through further. Mm. I think I read that yes and it's a real discipline. Mm. I think I think w w so many of us spend a lot of time talking about things and never quite go through, through that discipline mm. of crystallising. I think that's probably been one of the great things about about blogging actually in the education world in recent years. I started reading a lot, a lot of blogs very early on um, and making a point of meeting interesting bloggers and talking to them. And I found nearly always they were really rewarding conversations because the act of blogging had made people think so hard or perhaps perhaps it was people who wanted to think and had found blog blogging was a useful technique. But I, have, I haven't blogged publicly um, ask, because yeah. not very long after I really start, start, started getting interested in it, I became chair of Ofqual mm. and it would have been difficult to be a public blogger while, 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 while doing that and obviously mm. I can't just chuck personal opinions or, or my, my thought processes out, out in, this, in this job but that act of writing I think it's really interesting to see, to see how much it can do for all of us wherever we are whatever stage we're at in life I think it's still a useful discipline mm. and I you know I think I just had a giggle to myself of thinking of the memoirs that you know might come later on when you have <laughs> this <laughs> this lovely sense but that's probably for a much later chapter um, so that's really interesting how, I mean I guess the question for me is obviously at, at Ofqual there was S serious work that you did in terms of the um, reforms that were happening mm. while you were there and overseeing that. And obviously at Ofsted, you have the EIF that you're currently consulting on. Uh, how, how do you identify what change needs to happen? Um, and then what steps do you start to put in place to make that happen? I'm kind of interested in about that kind of strategic oversight mm. 
but then also the kind of practicalities of, of seeing something through. It's very much the same business of actually write it, writing something down. Um, when you get nominated for this job, mm. or before you get nominated, when you interview, you have to do a presentation. I did, as you can imagine for this job, I put quite a lot of effort into, into <laughs> preparing for the interview. And the biggest chunk of time I put was not into literally the words I was going to say, but the thinking before that, in talk, because the, the topic, unsurprisingly, was mm. what would I want to do as chief inspector? Mm. So I essentially went through that. What in the sort of 15 years I'd spent in education up to that point, what had I learnt? What had I learnt about the functioning of the education system and about the, the accountability system? What had I learnt about education measurement from my time at Ofqual? Mm. And... I'd also chaired the steering group for a cross-government review of about 35 regulators in the course of which I'd thought a lot about the role of regulatory levers, like inspe of which inspection is one, um, and the way they, in they influence mm. systems and, and act on them and how they can work well and how they can work not so well. So I brought all that thinking together and spent a lot of time writing writing out my, the flow of what I thought was the opportunity to take Ofsted to the next stage mm. and crystallising that into something that um, I could talk in supposedly five, five minutes um, for an interview <laughs> panel. I think they, they told me I overran quite significantly, but they, but they, didn't, <laughs> they, st but they didn't stop me because it was very interesting. <laughs> I well, I was just going to ask, actually, you know, that point about when, it's, when inspection works at its best and its worst. Yeah. I mean, for you, what, what does that look like? I mean, don't worry, I won't like, cut you off in, in, in an interview scenario. <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you could summarise, please. I think the important thing is to remember that inspection has a number of purposes. Mm -hmm. Um, one of its purposes is about providing information for parents and we must never lose sight of the, quite how important that is. Conversation often slides around to it to, to just its impact, its direct impact on schools and the people who work in them. But So I always have to put a marker down saying, first and mm -hmm. foremost, we should be thinking about children and the people who are responsible for directly for looking after children's well, interests. I have a very different take on that now I'm a parent as well yeah. you know from from being a I don't you know I'm not sure I 100% got that when I taught yeah. before I had kids um, just that stakeholder bit and yeah. how much really how much information I want and the kind yeah. of ways in which I would like them and that's quite different now actually. Isn't that interesting yeah. I, th I think that's a change that a lot of people go through um, and then then there is a piece that that is important and is one of the reasons why we're there is to be part of part of an accountability system that exists because we actually delegate an enormous amount to, to schools mm. to decide for themselves about what they teach and how they teach, about who they employ to teach it, about the ways they organise. We actually give an immense amount of leeway to, to individual schools and to academy chains in this country compared with most countries. And the flip side of that is having some kind of mechanism to help point out when, for whatever reason, it's not working as well as it should. So I see us as the flip side of mm. the, the very high level of autonomy 
that schools that schools get in this country. Mm. Um, and then, so, so that's the second piece. And the third piece, and of course the piece that the largest part of the discussion usually ends up being about, is the is the the benefit for schools and the people who work in them. And one of the pieces, the the reactions that I like best when I go to education conferences is people coming up to me and saying, saying we had our inspection, I, I was a bit nervous or I didn't know what to expect. It turned out to be like the very best CPD. It couldn't have been a better professional dialogue. It couldn't have been more constructive. That tells me that the inspector really found the right level to discuss, to air, discuss things in a way that genuinely made the people, the, the, the people at the other end of the inspection feel they were getting something that was valuable mm. in its own right, not just something being done to them in order to mm. come up with something for, for parents and other bits of government. And there's something about the quality of listening yeah. as well, I think, that plays into that, isn't there? If people genuinely feel that they have had some part in being listened to in that process. Good, good listening is, is, most, mm. is most definitely part of any mm. good professional dialogue, I think. Mm. Good, good listening on both sides, mm. actually. And then if it goes terribly wrong, I guess, you know, you said the, the best of inspection as it could be, mm. the, the, you know, the flip side of that. I think one of the things that, that has been a trend over a good many years, and this isn't just an Ofsted trend, this has been a wider system trend, is to get very focused on the numbers and to, interrog- to, 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 to do the, the further inquiry as layers of, layers of sort of sub-analysis yeah. of the data rather than stepping back and saying, okay, so given that that's that set of data, what can I see about the, what lies underneath it, what's being taught, yeah. how is it being taught, um, how do the pieces fit together, um, does it add up to something that I, would, that, that I, that I think we should be really happy for mm. children to be getting. Mm. So I'm trying to... to and, and Ofsted was always intended to be that um, when it was first when, from when it was first set up, but things things can and do slip over the years, and people in government tend to think about the bits of inspection that are most useful for government. People in parents think about the bits that are most useful for parents. People in schools think about the pieces that are most useful for schools. So one of the things that I think is really important for me as chief inspector is to really make sure that I hold on to that set of purposes and constantly think about what we're doing and the direction we're taking. Is it properly fulfilling all of those purposes? Mm. Because inspection isn't just a thing that you go out and do and order by the dozen or the hundred. It's got to fulfill the the purposes it's being done for. And depending on the shape of an education system and the the other policy levers and the, the, the state of development... The right kind of inspect. There isn't one perfect kind of inspection. Inspection should fit the circumstances of the day. Mm. But it's. I mean, it's that differentiated piece. Mm. Just like when you're teaching, yeah. right? You've got to make it fit where you're at, and use. You know, you've got different tools at your disposal. Um, using those in a way that suits where. Yes, you're at. it's the kind of tool that has to be applied in a sort of consistent mm. and transparent way. Yes, there is space for for a level of risk adjustment. It would be wasteful to look at every school in ex- in exactly the same way, irrespective of whether it was clearly flying in the top of his game in every respect or clearly really struggling. But 
but the underlying principles concept it's got to be it's got to be clear and fair we can't just walk in and say well we feel like inspecting you this way this week <laughs> um and next week we'll go and inspect the school the other side of town in an utterly different way just be, <laughs> ju ju just because it's a different person who likes to do it, it a takes different me back way to some of the horror stories of when i first started teaching but that's way before <laughs> your time <laughs> um i think i mean what i'm what i'm interested in is thinking about you know you've you've set this strategic vision you've identified the change you've written your essay how do you then how do you get those wheels in motion to make sure change happens it kind of cascade down every level if you like what are the processes that happen the really interesting processes um around getting people's first interest and brains engaging are so important to build to build to building support i wouldn't have wanted to go out with the framework we published um, last month, cold, mm. two weeks in to being chief inspector, mm -hmm. even if I'd had it sort of fully formed in my head, which of course I didn't, and it was something that was built by a whole team and with a lot of stakeholder involvement as it should be, but to just to drop it on the world cold without the chance to air um, some thinking about what what the next iteration needed to be and why and to have people the chance to process develop thinking um it would it just wouldn't work as well and you have to do that internally and externally so the the biggest internal lever was probably our own sort of strategy development process mm -hmm. um which fed into um the the development of the the research team that could do the the research evidence side of it the ex biggest external piece was um, around our curriculum research yeah. and the stages of curriculum research, which actually are probably better characterised as internal and external, because, of course, a great many of our inspectors were part of that. Mm. And I think quite a number of them, um, I've heard feedback from, that when they started going into schools specifically to ask about, to, to look at curriculum quality and to ask those questions about what's being taught and why I think they started to see to see sort of gaps or absences of thought mm. that once they started looking really sort of quite struck them mm. as things that nobody quite realized had gone missing in a lot of places so and, and, and which having started to think about they really found with a with a basis for for really fruitful conversation Amanda, can I ask you a question? Um, the, the actual process of change. Mm. Uh, recently the framework was yeah. released. What's the process and the timescales from ideation, whatever, to this is now mm. released into the world? That, I think that would be really interesting for people to know. Well, a lot, of, a lot of it actually started quite a long time ago. So one of the biggest pieces... Um, in launching anything like this is making sure that your inspectors are, f are fully prepared for it. And that, that actually started more than a year ago with some of the instalments of inspector training when we already knew from the early stages of curriculum research that, that whatever the, new, the, the, the next framework looked like, it, it was very likely to have significantly more weight on what is taught um, because the research was sh showing it was absolutely needed. So we started preparing inspectors 
then we didn't leave mm. it and so, so we didn't say we'll wait until the framework is published and then we'll do some inspector training we started thinking about what is it we can bite off that is um that is really general cpd this wasn't about how to inspect curriculum this was about about let's let's give everybody a refresher for in in what for some people may go all the way back to their initial training um and inspectors i think it's 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 fair to say and nobody's going to hit me on the head for saying this inspection is something you come to in mid or later career um so teacher training for many of my inspectors is 25 Quite years ago, ago. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes more all of us actually benefit from a bit of intellectual refreshment every now and then and the feedback from from start at starting this flow of additional training from both our full-time and and our part-time inspectors was was really very positive so at that point sorry I, yeah. I'm, I'm really fascinated how people so, um, implement change yeah. so it's kind of you know, yeah you've got that time if you uh, to yeah. do the training you kind of need to know what it is that they're going to be trained to do so yeah. wondering about your idea beforehand yeah. and you've spoken to a few people and we had the, the curriculum advisory group as yeah, well where it. kind of thoughts were shaping and reshaping we, you, we used an advisory the, in the process the process of shaping up um, the new framework we used we used some of the curriculum research to test test curriculum statements we built a pilot program which involved a, we're still involving a lot of inspectors mm. um, in going out on inspections to test the statements to build their sense so they can feed back on on what is what is workable what 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 needs to be adjusted or iterated so we 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 have a number of things that are creating mm. feedback loops into what will be the the framework as as launched on the 1st of September so there are i think more than well over 200 pilot inspections um which are not just pilotings of the framework in itself but also involving a lot of inspectors in the training which mean in the the regional Mm. inspector conference and training model that we use that everyone will have quite a lot of inspectors as part of each each training training day who've already been part of the pilots so who will be able to share um, and be part of the conversation we have to work in quite a a subtle way because we have as well as um getting on for 200 um full-time school inspectors plus um a similar number of early years inspectors and and a a, th- a rather smaller group of post-16 further education and skills inspectors. We've also got got the much wider group of part-time OIs. All of our training has to... OIs, yeah. inspectors. <laughs> our part-time inspectors who are mostly serving practitioners, mm-hmm. um, a few of them sort of recently retired, but who are all all teachers. Um, they're, 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 there is a non-negotiable requirement mm-hmm. that they, they have to be teachers with, with some leadership experience. So we have a broad group of people that we want to to bring along and have have really ready for this. Mm. And I got that sense, you know, just while I was on the secondment and I just followed you into one region, didn't I? But kind of went in with you, seeing you do your thing to like lay out the stool and take questions from a group of inspectors and then tailor your message ever so slightly for the head teacher. Oh, that was the West Midlands, wasn't it? It was fantastic. It just kind of got me that sense of... um, how you land something and, you know, tweak that and then going in the week after yeah. and seeing them have a chance to actually yeah. look at, look at, you know, the inspectors have yeah. a look at the draft work, give yeah. back their feedback. And that's happening in you know, eight mm. different regions. So it's kind of, yeah. it's quite a machine, isn't it, to garner yeah. all that and then put it back. I think in, in the same way, um, I said that a 
big bit of my job is to think about the all the different purposes and make sure we never allow one of the purposes to blot out the others. Similarly, when you're leading an organisation, you've always got to be thinking about both the internal and the external. It's no good doing one of them really well and not bothering with or doing the other one badly. If you want to make change happen, you've got, you've got to have both, both in parallel. And ideally, um, both in a way that, 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 reinforce, that they reinforce each other, that the feedback from the, the, the change as it starts to affect one side encourages people on the other. That way you can get the building blocks in place and really see things happen. And Aisha, I didn't know if you wanted to ask your question about uh, radical transparency. Oh, yeah. Because that ties in nicely before I ask. Earlier in your career, you worked at somewhere called Bridgewater Associates. And the reason why I thought of that is because um, there's a guy called Ray Dalio who has um, Bridgewater something else in America. And his whole thing is about radical transparency and how he runs his organisation. Um, so I wondered what you thought about that kind of as a concept. His, his idea is that uh, basically super, super honest super transparent, anybody in organisation mm. can ask them anything that they want, and like brutal, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so I wonder what you thought about that and as then, a concept yeah. and how it would work here. I think um, radical transparency, um, I've, nev I've never heard the phrase before, but um, put it this way, Aisha, my first week at Ofsted, I decided I needed to be, um, to really hear what our own staff had to say and we had regional inspection conferences in my in my first that, that were moved to, to my first week so that I could go round every table I think a dozen or so tables at each of eight conferences I spent 10 minutes or so at every single mm -hmm. table and said it's short but I'd really like to hear anything you think I should hear in my first week as chief inspector and I took notes in all of them. I still have my notes of all of them. Um, that, for me, was about making sure that people really felt that they could say and that I actually heard directly. That I didn't rely on chains that filter things down and sort of soften messages or blur them or shift them according to intermediaries' desires. I wanted to hear firsthand. Why was that important to you? Because if you've got to, if you think there are things, cha changes that you want to make in how an organisation approaches its job, you do need to understand what people's preoccupations are, what their anxieties are, and kind of the level at which they're approaching it. You need to get a sense of the group of people you're working with. Um, and externally, I've tried, um, and I'm sure I should do more of this, but I do try and get to events. And when I go to an event, not just to turn up and speak and go off again, I try and be around for, for a chunk of it to listen to, um, to to other speakers, but also to be around at lunchtimes, coffee breaks, and let anybody who wants to come up and bend my ear and tell me something, come, come, come and do that. And I hear really positive that, things that way. I hear some negative things that way. But I'm quite sure that it's, that it's wor always worth doing. So I kind of have a question about yeah. uh, how, you know, leading an organisation and taking that level mm. of feedback can take its toll. Um, 
I kind of want to ask how you counter that. How do you have a bit of time for self-care and a bit of time um, to be able to go away and have space for doing whatever you do? Um, there's a few things there. One of which is that Ofsted is a bit different from um, how a lot of people, I suspect, imagine it. Ofsted is a really honest place and fundamentally the kinds of people who become inspectors are people with a lot of integrity who want to do good things um, and who much prefer um, to face the tough stuff and talk about it. So we're actually often quite hard on ourselves, mm. I think, but we're also quite good at saying if something needs to be done, we've got to get up, get on and do it. So the combination of the honesty and the can-do culture mm. make it quite a supportive place to work. And we have quite a strong team spirit and dealing with tough stuff, you you need that. You, 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 you need mm. to feel you're part of a team. You need to feel that people have got your back and, they, and, and that you've got theirs. Um, and we and we have that kind that kind of feel. So days when I know that I'm going to be standing on a platform talking about things that some people are really not going to to be comfortable with, I know that I've got um, the, the the senior team, the press office, mm. um, Una and her colleagues. I know that it's not just me out there on my own. It is it it it, it genuinely is a team effort, and a really well organised office, which I'm lucky enough to have, is also great. When you've got people who, who make who, who make really sure that the day works and the week works. And that so you've, you've got your team, you're sorted, you've got your kind of, they've got yeah. your back, you've got theirs. When you just feel like riding off on your Brompton into the sunset or whatever it may be, <laughs> what, like genuinely, what do you do to relax and have time out for you? <laughs> Is it knitting? Like, I'm just, I'm curious, like, you know. Uh, well, Laura McInerney <laughs> um, spotted a piece of knitting in my bag years ago when I did an, an interview for Schools Week. Um, so it is knitting, we're there. Um, knitting, knitting is one of the things. But literally, the, the riding my bike yeah. and riding to work is, I find, clears my brain for the day wonderfully. And riding my bike home yeah. is a nice thing that, that detaches me, separates me. It means I'm not squished up against people in public transport. I actually really like that 20 minutes, just yeah. a decompression. Yeah. Um, it it gets me set up. And then I, I do all the do all the things that anybody does, I guess. So, um, I see see friends, read books, I play tennis. Um, yeah, I remember we were talking about, um, I can't remember the detective, but a detective series that you like to read. I can't remember who it was, because um, I was like, is it like Inspector Wexford? Or you got um, talking about James Orroy and you said it was too violent for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really do violence. I'm t two, two detective series I can I can give you that I like. Um, one, of, one of which I think it's... I mentioned last summer at Wellington was was Rexed Out, um, classic thirties American detective oh, fiction. But another one that I really like is Jason Goodwin has done a series um, of novels set in in eighteen forties Turkey, Yashim the detective, which I think are brilliant. That's a great recommendation. Yeah, they I will put, go and have a read of those. They put me on the spot at Wellington for. A book I really liked, and I, and I have to, I don't know why, I was like a rabbit in the headlights. <laughs> it's one of those moments. So a kind of a, a parting question from me is, 
I want to know if you could go back in time, transport <coughs> yourself back, give yourself one piece of advice to your younger self about being a leader, your journey as a leader yeah. and leading with integrity, what would it be? It would be have confidence, don't give up prematurely. I wouldn't even have applied for this job if it hadn't been for a couple of people who not only said I ought to apply, um, it might be right up my street, but one of them who said, if I were a man, I wouldn't be thinking twice. Mm. And it took that, that mm. kind of jab yeah. in the ribs for me to take myself seriously enough mm. to say I should give it a go. And I can't tell you how grateful I am to that person. Mm. Me too. Aisha, any last questions from you? Yeah. Amanda, you were a founding member of um, the ARC Senior Leadership Team a while ago now. I'm just wondering the difference between creating an organisational culture from scratch, as you did there, and inheriting one and having to mm. do whatever you want to do with that. It's very, very different. Though, actually, in starting an academy chain like ARC, in a sense, that culture change needed to happen in each of the schools that ARC was taking on. Um, it had some new start schools which were creating from scratch, but also, but it, in the years that I was there, probably two thirds of the schools were, tr were transitions. And this was the early days of the sponsor sponsored academies. These weren't schools that were flying high already, by and large, they were schools with some enormous challenges. Um, but we were doing it, it was slightly different because of this level of autonomy for schools. So while there was a, a central team, it nevertheless was very much something that had to happen inside each school. It wasn't about creating um, a very strong single um, a, um, mat culture that superseded what was in the schools. Whereas Ofsted, I think it's only right and fair for everybody in the system that we are one Ofsted and that people get the same experience no matter, no matter where they are and no matter who comes out inspecting them. And what does that involve? So um, have you been in post about two years now? It's about that, isn't it? It is two years yeah. now. Um, okay, so I remember writing the blog actually when, when you started saying about because uh, loads of people were saying, oh, she's never taught, da-da-da-da. And was it important that you hadn't, was that a problem that you hadn't taught, basically? I, I thought about it this morning, actually. Um, I don't think anyone ever mentions that anymore. No. It used to be, it was quite a big deal when you first started. It's really not something that's affected me um, since I've been here. I and mean, if you think about the range of um, activity that we cover, everything from childminders and early years through post-schools and post-16 and children's social care, there's nobody I've ever met who could possibly claim to have been a practitioner in all of those. There are co always compromises for somebody in this job. There'll be things they haven't got experience of. I was very lucky to have had both my um, academy chain experience and particularly experience there that was very focused on the schools with the hardest job to do. And also my experience at Ofqual getting to understand um, both all the limitations, the, the strengths and limitations of measuring education, and where I also got an immense amount of exposure to the post-16 world, actually, and vocational qualifications. So different parts of my previous lives have 
come in useful in different in different ways. I did have quite a steep learning curve, particularly on the children's social care side when I began. But you you put in the effort, you talk to people, you go out with your mind open and ready to learn. So you spoke about um, the consistency that needs to happen mm. in an organisation like Ofsted because there's so many people, mm. right? Um, and I was just wondering, it is one Ofsted, but under different tenures of people in your mm. role, it feels different. Presumably it feels different inside, but it also feels different to external people. Mm. And just how do you manage that? And then how do you also... What's the balance between it being consistent to people it needs to be consistent to but also having your own stamp on it if that makes any sense it does make sense well I think the essence of what I've tried to do in developing this new new framework is to build a model that should be iterated in the light of the accumulation of research evidence rather than be something that's about what does this chief inspector want to do um I can still remember in about my second week in the job Somebody came into my office and asked me essentially that question. What do you think should be in the next inspection framework, um, Chief Inspector? And I said, no, I don't think that's, that's how we should be. I think, I think, I think we should have um, something that is, is built both in our own experience and practice and also in the, in, in the wider evidence base that creates a strong platform from which we, we, we can iterate and develop over time. Um, so that will be um, a test of my success is, 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 is if we succeed in building something that really can be iterated that way. And have I got time for one more question? Is that okay? Mm. All right, so my final one related to that is research is obviously very important to you because um, your ARC position was uh, like research director, I think, um, and we've spoken many, like quite a few times in this conversation about the underpinning of research. Um, why do you feel that's important? It might seem like a basic question, but why? The accumulation of knowledge through, through research is the core of advancement in, in every, every sector of science, humanities. And I've used the phrase the advancement of civil, civilization before, and I genuinely mean it. it. It's that intelligent accumulation of, of, of wisdom over time that lets us take the world forward. So... As inspectors, it's really important that we make the best use of everything that's at our disposal so that we don't have each new person coming in cold saying, I know this because because I've, I've been a school leader, that we actually bring all of our new inspectors um, with their many and varied skills into something that adds up to something that's bigger than any bigger and better than any one person can be. That's the aim. You just gave the answer I used to give to my students when they asked why they needed to study maths. <laughs> yeah, like I basically used to say it's you know, for the great, you know, the continuation of hum- humanity's knowledge, even though you might not be or whatever. I have one last question. Um, Amanda, so this is kind of part of us thinking about, you know, what leadership looks like, different forms of that, leading with integrity. I'd be really interested if you have any recommendations of people we would speak to going all from, on from this as part of a series for us to chat about. And I've sprung this on you a little. So if you, you don't, that is fine. You have sprung it on me. And I want to chew on that one and see if I've got somebody <laughs> yeah. um, that I can send you as a name that you could, you could put underneath your, on, on yeah. your podcast Fantastic. page. That can start the chain. That'd be brilliant. Be all right. Well, thank you so yeah, much you for your much. time this afternoon. Really enjoyed it. Yeah.
Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Hey, people. I love making this podcast. If you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoy making it, there's a few things that you can do. One, subscribe. Press the subscribe button on iTunes or wherever you listen to it. Two, share. Share this episode with somebody who you know will find it interesting or is affected by the specific issues covered. Three, review. Write a review or leave a comment. Also, feel free to contact us via the links on the show notes. Thanks a lot. Bye.